Well, we're going to be skipping around a lot of places in the Bible today. I don't actually have any references in your, in your outline. And you can write some things down. But most of the things we're going to be looking at today are things you already know about. And we will look at some scriptures in particular. But what I want to do is take something that you already know and put it into application for this part of uh, God's boot camp and getting us ready for the things that are to come. So we're not really necessarily learning anything new about the Word. We want to just learn what the Word is doing for us as far as where we're walking spiritually. And we titled this one, Before It Matters. There are some things you need to get before it matters. Before it makes a difference. And if you get it before it matters, then when it matters, you're ready. If not, you're set up for a spiritual disaster. Now the thing about our God is that He knows when it matters. And He knows what's coming up down the road. And He does what He can to get you there. But sometimes we find ourselves resistant to the things that He would do to prepare us and to get us ready. And because of that resistance, and because we've gone down the wrong road, or haven't followed after the things that He said to do, we find ourselves unprepared, and we tend to blame God for the trouble we're in. And it's not a good situation. How would you like to be warning somebody, warning somebody, telling them, don't do this, don't do this, and then they go ahead and do it, get themselves in trouble, and come back and blame you? It's not necessarily a great, great place. We shouldn't put our God into that position either. But here in this first spot, we're going to be looking at taking a stand, or standing, and it's basically following this theme, stand, walk, and run. That you stand first before you walk, you walk before you run, and you can get into other things too, but we're just taking these three. That uh, little children, when they first go, they, they stand up. How many of y'all can remember what ages your children were standing? What ages they were walking? Maybe even go back there and figure out what ages that they were, they were running. I know when our son was, was first standing, I know the, the time frame my daughter was first walking and things, I cannot remember running. Somewhere in there, I'm sure that they got into it, but it does not stand out of my mind as to when that was. I think I'm doing pretty good just getting the standing and the walking down. <laughs> my parents, I, I didn't even know when I started because I probably have told you before, but my parents tell me about it all the time. My mom tells me about it all the time. My dad doesn't really mess with it at all. But my mom will be sure very, very, very informative about it. Uh, my son was walking at age nine months. And I beat him. I was walking at six months. They tell me that all the time. And at some age, it was a relatively young age, but uh, I was down in University City, University area of the city, uh, Walnut, Chestnut Street, somewhere in there where we lived and where we, we stayed. And I was in a carriage. Mom was pushing me around the neighborhood and as she was pushing me around the neighborhood she said it was a different neighborhood back then it was a little bit better than it is today I've been down there a few times it didn't look bad in the sections I was at but anyway that's what they that's what they tell me and so she uh, stopped the carriage and she turned and she was talking to a neighbor and turned back and I was gone I was not in the carriage that they were pushing because I had climbed out of the carriage and took a walk on down Chestnut Street so Mom very much remembers that day. I have absolutely no memory of it at all. <laughs> Good thing she was a nurse, huh? But first off, we take, our, we take that area where we stand, then we walk, and then we run. And there are some things that God tries to do to get us to stand. My brother, uh, I don't know that he did this intentionally. I think we have since done it intentionally to him. But at first, I don't think he intended to, to do anything by this, but he gave my son for Christmas, or his first Christmas, uh, he gave him a fire truck. Now, it was a fire truck that you walked behind. It had a little whole handle to it. And so we gave him this thing, and he had this, and this is why he was walking at nine months. He got this at Christmas, and in January, he's walking. It did not take him long. So if you want to help your children walk, those little things there are great to get them... Get them. They had to stand up to do it, and they had to walk behind it. And so he did that, and so he was uh, walking a lot sooner than Mom would have liked. But that was, uh, I don't know that he intended that we have since returned the favor. <laughs> but here when you're standing up, and God is trying to get Israel to take a stand, to stand up on some things. To not just be always laying down and crying and fussing and all the stuff that they were doing. And over in chapter 2 and verse 23 of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 
through the end of the chapter. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Now how many of you when you hear that these groanings were going on, how many of you think that they were groaning, groaning faith groans? Father God, it sure is hard down here, but we're glad that you have a plan for us, that you have a deliverer for us, that you are sending that deliverer even now. Even though we don't see it, we know that deliverer is coming and we thank you for it. How many think those are the kind of things that they were saying? (laughs) No, we don't have that impression of them, do we? We just see them probably being down there. God, why are you using us this way? Why have you forgotten us? Why? And just blaming God and coming after God for all these, all these things that are going on. And here's Moses. Now, the first time Moses came on by and he was going to be with their Redeemer, they didn't seem to take to it too well. They are ready to chase him out of town. And Moses is more than happy to oblige and he just left. So he took off. Over in chapter 5, Moses is sent back to him. At first, of course, reluctantly, but eventually he gets into the program. And he has his first encounter with Pharaoh and it doesn't go well. And Pharaoh gets upset and he says, all right, they all have too much time on their hands. So we got to take care of that problem. And so they make them build straw or build the bricks without getting straw. They had to go out and first get their straw. And then they had to build the bricks with the straw that they would get. And they weren't meeting their quotas. And so people were being beaten and such things. And the leaders got all together. And they said, you know, why are you doing this to us? And he said, because you have too much time on your hands. you got to deliver over here. He's coming over here making demands. And so since you have all that time, we're not going to supply you with straw. You all go out there and get it yourselves. And so they come out of that meeting. The leaders of Israel come out of that meeting. And they run into Moses and Aaron. Verse 20 of chapter 5. We'll go to the end of the chapter again. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants and put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now again, we're looking at the principles of standing here. They, of course, were loved by the, Israel, uh, the Egyptians before this. Now, we can pick on them and say, oh, I can't believe that they do this. Of course, the Egyptians didn't love them before that. But we do the same thing. We change circumstances around and we go back before God and start complaining, God, I can't believe that this is going on. I can't believe that you're letting this happen. How is it that this is going on? I thought you loved me. I thought you were taking care of me. I thought this stuff worked. What's going on here? Verse 22. Well, not only did it have an effect on the leaders of Israel, it also had an effect on the leaders of, uh, I'm sorry, leaders of Israel here, but it also had an effect on Moses and Aaron, the deliverers. So Moses returned to the Lord. Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? Boy, we just start questioning some things. I mean, did, did God bring trouble on Israel? I believe it was Pharaoh. And I don't think he was obeying God. I don't think God gave Pharaoh a directive and said, go over there and oppress these, uh, these guys. But somehow we get this idea that once we get born again and we follow after God, that everything ought to be hunky-dory and be good and no trouble, no, uh, no oppression, no problems. seems to me that Jesus taught us differently than, from that. But still, we go out that way and that's what we think because we're especially faith people. Uh, we're faith, this shouldn't happen to faith people. I understand that, you know, Baptist... <laughs> Episcopals and Methodists, stuff like that. I understand why that stuff happens to them. Well, the Catholics are not even playing the same game here. so (laughs) We all know why it happens to them, right? I mean, isn't this the kind of stuff that we're thinking? But God loves Catholics. He loves Baptists. He loves Episcopals just as much as He loves you. And He'll minister to them whatever they'll believe for, whatever they'll stand for. If a Catholic person got in faith, God ministered to them. If an Episcopal person got in faith, God would minister to them. And if a faith person gets out of faith, guess what? (laughs) So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? So as soon as things don't work out the way we want them to, we immediately question God's purpose in the whole thing. Obviously, I did it wrong. I'm not doing it right. 
go out there and get somebody else. This just isn't working. Because that's just the easier way to do it. It's easier to quit, move on to something else than it is to fix it. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, let him know why he's coming here, he has done evil to this people, and neither have you delivered your people at all. Now, after this time, Moses gets it right. But this is a little lapse that Moses has and never has another one. Go over to God. Wouldn't that be nice if we could say, well, I had a lapse and never had another one. That would be all right. I mean, I'd be okay if I had a lapse like this and that was my last. (laughs) And this is his last, as far as we can tell. Even at the rock, he's not having this kind of a lapse. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Now, if you're Moses and you're hearing this, what are you thinking? Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't know this guy, Lord. I know this guy. I talk with this guy. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. In other words, he's Pharaoh. I am the Lord. He's Pharaoh. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to remember that I am, not me, of course, God, God says, I am the Lord. He is the Lord. He is God. And what are you facing? I mean, he is the boss, right? She is the boss. They're not Lord. They're just the boss. They are your neighbor. They are just your spouse. They're just your in-laws. They're just your kids. He is the Lord. Sometimes we're just going to go back and compare what it is we're facing. That's all we got to do. Stay in this country. It is just the press. That's all it is. He is the Lord. In this country, we just have presidents. We just have governors. We just have senators. He is the Lord. You know, it's a good thing that God knew where all this stuff was going. I heard somebody say the other day, y'all been keeping track on the stimulus stuff and all the money they're spending. I don't. I haven't figured this all out yet. I just heard somebody say this. You all can go check it out if you want to and figure it all out. But I heard someone say, and I, I know I'm remembering this right. This is the way they said it. I heard it. I said, no, that can't be right. Is it really true? He said, in the, in the amount of money they have spent and all the stimulus stuff combined and all the things that they've done, uh, you know, last year and this year, if you spent $1 million a day since the day that Jesus was born, you would not have spent as much. I almost fell over when I heard that. I want to go back through and just multiply that all out. You've got to you know, divide it all out by the days. I said, is that tr- could that be true? I don't know if they got a decimal wrong, but I know I heard them say that. It was $1 million a day since Jesus was born. Um, I don't know if he meant 1000 or 100000 or something different in there, but I thought, are you serious? A million? Hmm. But anyway. Wow. I mean, that's a, we're talking lots of money, aren't we? Now, I know it wasn't a million dollars a year. That's easy. You can go, go back, way back before Jesus was born. I heard somebody who made it into seconds. They took a trillion, because most of us, we can't even imagine what a trillion is. And they took a million seconds and took you where that went back to. They took a billion seconds and told you where that went back to. And then it took a trillion seconds. And the gaps that were between those was astounding. But that was a long time ago I heard that. I have no idea what it, <laughs> where it went to. You all can figure it out. So, just know God knew this was going on. And I'm just sure that all this stuff has to do with the end times. Somehow this is all measuring in. Doesn't God talk about financial issues that come up? Great financial. Remember we are going through Revelation and how much the, the barley and all that sort of stuff was, was costed? Because, I mean, last year and the previous administration, we spent a whole lot of money. I heard, I, from what I'm told, the eight years that President Bush was in office, five of those years was the highest deficit we ever had. We've already topped it this year. Isn't that amazing? Already topped the deficit this year so far. This year will be the, the this year will be the number one deficit we've ever had. 
I mean, that's something. Now, it's not so bad if you think that eventually, you know, we'd get it under control and pay it back. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen, right? When has Washington ever had to... They tell you, tell you to tighten your belt. Never seen them tighten a the belt yet. They just keep spinning. So, don't think that this wasn't. Don't get all nervous about it. Don't be think, oh, what's going to happen to me? What about this and what about that? I'm sure that this is going to be ushering in some things. Because, you know, if this country goes down economically, the whole world's going down economically. And if the whole world goes down economically, what's the world looking for? Someone to bail them out. Someone to help them out. Guess who's probably willing to step up for the case for that? Mm. There will be some things going on. Yeah, we won't be here. Glory to God. Oh, I am glad to, I am glad to get out of this. But, but please, the only thing I want you to get from this is don't let all this stuff get to you. Don't let it bother you. It's, it's, they're spending like there's no tomorrow. But there probably isn't. <laughs> I just keep taking, taking uh, comfort in that. There's probably no tomorrow. We're, we're out of here soon. Might be a year, might be two years. We might still be able to hang on. I don't know how long it's going to be, but... Whew. I just, just get excited because it means Jesus is coming back soon. And the mess that they're making, they all get to stay down here. They get to stay down here and enjoy it. <laughs> we're out of here. We're going into another one. So, don't be sitting there and say, but He is, but they are, but this is. Uh-uh. He is still Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, or by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from the bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke this to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses because of the anguish, because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. You see, if you get developed spiritually, when the Word of God is spoken, it gives life to you. And this stuff can't pull you down. The economic stuff that's going on in the world, not going to pull you down. The political mess that folks get into, it's not going to pull you down. The stuff that goes on at work, not going to pull you down. The threat of layoffs, the threat of less money, the threat of inflation, not going to pull you down. That's what you have to do if you let the words of God come in and, and set in. But the problem is we're, that when we are undeveloped spiritually, we react like Israel did. You, I mean, you can't always, you cannot generally tell people this. You cannot go up to them and say, you are reacting wrongly. Because if they are reacting wrongly, it's because they don't hear the words of God and respond in the correct way. So what are they going to do when you tell them differently? They're going to respond in the same way. They're not going to change. It has to be something that becomes light on the inside of them. Now, when, when Moses comes out and he speaks this to the children of Israel, think of some individuals that are in that group. Is Joshua in that group? Do you think Joshua heard the words of God? Caleb. Do you think that Caleb heard the word that was spoken there? Do you think Caleb has a problem with this? From here on out. Do you think when the oppression goes, you think Caleb's doing okay with it? I have a picture of Caleb. I think he's doing all right. I think Joshua's doing all right. I think that's why Moses gravitated to Joshua and brings him on in the way that he does is because he's, he just absorbs that word. But it's a training that you have to do. You have to train yourself 
to, to get that. It doesn't just happen. Think of it as a coach. When you have a coach, how I many have you seen some of those movies on the TV? And they got the coach and the coach is real nasty. He's real tough. And he speaks things out and it sounds harsh. And how many of you have heard those things that that coach has said to his players and say, I would not respond to this. This would get me mad. I would walk out. I would not do it. But you watch the movie and you see the things and the players begin to get pumped up and they get to be excited and they go on out there and they do what the coach said. They do this they, and they come out there and they win. How many have seen movies like that? And, oh yeah, we make their feel-good movies and we feel good about that. But if we put ourselves in that position and that coach is speaking those words to us and he's calling us nasty names and he's telling us that our mothers could be doing better jobs out there on the, on the field... <laughs> And things like this. How many of us are saying, I'm not receiving this. This is not good. I don't, I don't necessarily like this. Or you see them out there in the practice field and you see that coach just focus in on one player. And this player is struggling. And he's going to make him struggle even more. He makes him learn extra laps. He makes him stay afterwards and keep doing those drop downs. And he's doing drop downs until he throws up and he makes him get up and do drop downs again. And he's got to do it again. And he's got to do it again. And how many of you got mad at the coach? And you're, he, he, he's not being sensitive to the, to the guy there. But the coach understands if he's going to get him through this, he knows what he has to do to get him through it. And so he's speaking these things. And as long as that player receives those words from the coach and he does what the coach is saying and he, he's, he changes begin to go on inside of him. And he's able to handle the things that go on out in the field. He's able to take place for the, the thing. He's ready for what happens in the game. And he gets himself ready. God is coaching you. And he's telling you the things that you need. But sometimes we're just resistant to it. And what happens, because sometimes you see those certain players and they're resistant to it. And what do they do? They pull back. And you, I mean, every movie that I've ever seen, I've seen a lot of these movies, I probably see more of these movies than you do because I like these kind of movies. And I'm on the side of the coach every time. Every time. If they're messing with a guy and driving him in the ground, I'm drive him harder. I'm just, just that's, that's just the way that I... Because I understand what it's doing for them. I understand what's, what, what, what uh, we're trying to do there. But sometimes these players, they come off there and when they do and they're resistant to the words of the coach, they get back amongst other players who think likewise, don't they? And don't they begin to talk to each other and begin to say, I can't believe Coach is doing this. I can't believe he won't give us water. I can't believe he kept us out there for an extra day. Do you see how hot it was out there? You could die out there. Don't they all begin to talk in this way? And what does that do? Does that make them more receptive to the things the coach is saying? No, what happens begins to happen to them? They become more hardened to the words that the coach is saying. And when they get on out there, they think, I'm not alone in this. I got this one, this one, this one, and this one. And they all begin to solidify and begin to unify against the coach and against the words that the coach is speaking. And pretty soon they can get almost a rebellion going on in that team. And the coach has to either find a way to bring them into that rebellion or get them off. And we went out to, I think I told you our, our experience before we went out and we watched that movie, Remember the Titans. One of my favorite movies of this, this sort of thing. But when we first sat down, we saw it in the theater. And I didn't know a whole lot about the movie. I knew it was a football movie. And generally, that's all I need to know. <laughs> football movie, I'm, I'm here. No, this is, this is good. Mamma Mia, stuff like that, I am out of there. Now, you will not drag me into a theater for Mamma Mia. You all liked it. Some of you folks enjoyed that movie. That may have been, but it's not mine. The Notebook, never did see that movie. Saw some commercial for a DVD or something. So that's what Matt's always talking about. Because he's always talking about bringing that out to some guys meeting that we have. Yeah, I never. He's just, teas, he's just teasing about it. But I never knew what the movie was. I never even talked note of it. But then I figured out what it, what it was. And I, <laughs> and I saw that. But we, watched, we were watching Remember the Titans. And do you remember, you know, the coach, he, he doesn't just have to get these guys in football shape. He's got the, you know, the, the blacks on one side and the whites on the other side. And we've got all this battling stuff going on. He's got to find a way to get these guys to think like a team. Oh, I love some of the things he was doing. And he, he, he forced them to integrate. And not just to integrate, but to find out about each other. And they had to ask questions. And they were going to get quizzed on it. And they're all thinking, why do I need to do this? What is this going to do? But it began to build, build bridges. And one of the strongest bridges I saw was on the defense. Between the two leaders that were on the defense. 
both on opposite sides as far as race was concerned and both couldn't stand each other when camp began. Became very, very close friends and that camaraderie that you saw there, oh, it just brought you into the movie and you just felt so good about that whole thing. It's like, oh, this is great. And then you see what happens when they break camp and they go into the real world. <laughs> and, and the things are, oh, it's just such a neat job they did with that. And uh, we were sitting there watching the theater and it came on up and all of a sudden it flashed on the screen, this is a Disney new movie. And my son knew exactly how I was going to respond. <laughs> and so he leans over to me and says, Don't worry, Dad. It might be okay. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, at that point, I'm ready to get up and go. I thought, Disney, I'm out of here. And so we sat there and we watched it. And of course, there was a scene in there that made it a true Disney movie. Why in the world they put that thing in there, I don't know. But anyway, if you don't know what that is, good for you. But anyway... The coach had a, had a, he had a vision of what he had to do, how he had to get these guys to overcome this problem. He saw what was out there. He saw what was going to come against them. And he knew what he had to do to get it. So as long as they were resistant to the words that the coach put out, they were resistant to what was going to help them down the road. And do you remember the guy who broke it for them? How many of you watched the movie Remember the Titans? All right. Do you remember the the guy, the really large guy who was on the line? And he started to do some things and started to help break the ice and mix up some things. And I love the the mama jokes. (laughs) And he just broke it all with the mama jokes. And that just was so great. It was just, he just really helped that thing out. And and you see tensions begin to break off. And then people began to be more receptive to the words that the coach had. And as they took those words in, they became better players, they became better team, and they became very tough to defeat. And you all remember that famous scene when they're out there on the sidelines and the defensive coach who wasn't on the team with the head coach for a little while. And he pulls his men together for this tough battle. He says, remember that line? They will remember the night they played the Titans. And boy, they remembered. Boy, that was some good football scenes in there. Oh, I, oh, I like those scenes. They were good. But that was some, But that's where you see God is your coach. He is the guy who sees what you're coming up against. He knows what's down the line. He knows what He has to do now to get you to be ready to receive what you're going to need to get past what, you're gonna, what you have. And if He can get you ready, He knows the test is coming. Just like the coach knows. He knows when the date is of the first game. He knows when that date is. He, it's not in His hands. This is when the test is coming. It's not His choice. This is coming upon you. I need to get you ready for it by then. God says, I know what's coming up down the road. I know what happens, what's happening in the economy. I know what's happening in the political circles. I know what's happening in your neighborhood. I know what's happening in your family. I know what you have to get ready for. And I'm getting you ready for what is coming your way. God's not sending it. But He knows it's coming. And so He's trying to speak these things in. And we continue to resist it. And we just resist it. We, I don't take it in. I'm not, no, I'm not taking that in. I'm not going that way. Mm-mm. And we're not ready. And this is what the children of Israel have. This great word that was spoken is all Moses needs. From this point out, you don't see Moses go back to God and say, are you sure you called me? Are you sure you're bringing us out? From this point on, he is a rock. And every time Pharaoh says no, Moses says, don't worry about it. It's all handled. I was expecting this. I knew this was coming up. That's all right. Y'all just keep believing. Y'all keep standing. This is all good. This is just playing into the end. This is playing into God's hand exactly the way it needs to be playing. And Moses is never threatened by this at all. Never phased by it at all. Because he received what God said to him. But the children of Israel did not. They did not receive. Why? What was that verse again? Because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They didn't receive it. We've got to get out of this place where the things that are going on around us, the things that are going on in the world, hinder us from receiving the words of God. Because the reason that we have the cruel bondage 
And the reason that we have the anguish of spirit is not because of the pharaohs in our life or the Egyptians in our life or the land of Egypt. It's because we are resistant to the Word of God. And more Christians than know it are resistant to the Word of God. We have received things to a point. But there's a point, there's a threshold like we are talking about on Sunday. There's a threshold where listening stops and deafness begins. I won't hear that. That can't be God. That's not God speaking that to me. Mm-mm. I don't need that. I don't want that kind of stuff. I'll give you a couple of examples. How many of you still find yourself complaining every now and then? No, I don't. Inside, inside, always inside hands. Inside hands. <laughs> inside hands, that's right. Why do we do that? How many find yourself grumbling? Even tempted to fall into the area of gossip? Even though we know, what are we doing? I am resistant to the Word of God. And by being resistant to the Word of God, I am hindering myself from being prepared for what is to come. And when I fail... Don't be blaming God. God's trying to get you ready. But you're resistant to it. Now you may be saying, well, this sounds kind of hard. I don't know, when I listen to Jesus talk about the life that He promises, it doesn't sound like it's a picnic. It doesn't sound like it's a walk in the park. When I hear Paul describe his life, it didn't sound like it was some waltz. He didn't, I mean, you listen to the stuff he went through. This was hard stuff. But Paul's okay with it. He's excited. No wonder he says for me to, to die is gain. Get out of all this stuff. Is that right? But he stayed open. And when God spoke things to him, he changed things. He altered things. He would, he would do things that had to be done. And he'd be stay mindful of it. But right now we're just trying to get Israel to stand up. Just take this word and just make a stand on it. That's all. Just make a stand on that word. Now, how are you going to make a stand on that word? God has delivered you. God has set you free. Yeah, but you don't know the financial stuff that I'm under. You don't know the things we're facing in this area. Mm, no, I don't. But I didn't write the Bible either. God did. And He's the one who's got to receive it from. He's the coach. He's the one who's going to be speaking to you on this, this stuff. You've got to listen to the things that He has to say. So, if you really want to get into this and really follow after this thing, then you're going to have to open yourself up to whatever it is that God says, even if it's at 3 a.m. in the morning. Because He's going to do that. He's going to speak to you at 3 a.m. in the morning. You, you cannot roll over and say, I'm a little tired right now, God. Yeah, that's right. You can do it. But, you, but then don't wonder why you're not prepared. Just think back to the Remember the Titans. 4 a.m., whatever it was in the morning, he'd get them all up to go do that march out to Gettysburg. Was that not a powerful section of the movie? Mm. How many of you are in that spot? I don't need to get up. This is football camp. I don't need to get up at this time to go trotting through fog and water. And This is football. I want to be out there in the football field and I don't need to be there at 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> But you know, that was a breaking point for him. That was a breaking point for him. Now, if you're the coach, if that coach is born again, that, if, if he's typing into God and God says, take him up at 4 o'clock in the morning and walk him on down to the, to the Gettysburg place. Let him see all the tombstones that are going on there and say this to him. How many of you, if you're that coach saying, that's not God. No stories like true stories, are there? Because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Don't let the anguish of spirit and the cruel bondage that's around you keep you from making the stand that you need to do. All the Israelites had the same opportunity. Only a handful decided to take it. Here we see that nothing is required of them except to stand. In this area, nothing is required of them except to stand. Are they required to go before Pharaoh? Are they required to believe God that these plagues will happen? 
Are they required to come up with the plan? Or fight the Egyptians? Nothing is required of them except to stand. There's some preparation in your life that is just based on you making a stand. That's all. Just make the stand. Obey what is said and do what you know. But they doubted, complained, grumbled, and rebelled. They doubted, complained, grumbled, and rebelled. What was needed to be learned was left unaccomplished. They don't accomplish it. They don't get it done. What was needed to be learned was left unaccomplished. So they don't learn the things that they do there. So this ill prepared them for the things that were to come. But what's down the road comes upon you, whether you're ready for it or not. So eventually they leave Egypt because there was a, a way and a plan. And at this point, they need to do some walking. Israel's in the wilderness. They're heading out that way. Something is required of them, but most is done for them. This is the area when you're walking. Something is required of them, but most is done for them. Moses is leading them. Moses is hearing from God. Moses is knowing where to go. Moses is coming up with the plans. Moses is hearing, listening to God and doing all the things that needed that way. They just need to follow. But they have to follow. They have to walk. So they cross the Red Sea. Over in Exodus chapter 14. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Thank you, Father God, for delivering us. Thank you, Father God, that these Egyptians will never see again. Thank you, Father God, that where you lead us, you protect us, you provide for us. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better... For us to serve the Egyptians, then we should die in the wilderness. I don't think I saw that in the Word of God. They said, Father God, we would rather stay here and serve the Egyptians. They were crying out to God because of the bondage and the oppression. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall... See again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell, them the, ch tell the children of Israel to go forward. But you, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They shall follow them, so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. So who's doing the work? Moses and God. Moses is believing God. Israel's not believing God. They just have to walk through. Now, I'll tell you what. It takes a little bit more to walk through two piles of water on your, your left and right. That takes a little bit. <laughs> A little bit more than what it took for them to do in Egypt. So that's why I said they're walking now. They got There's a little bit. There's something that's required of them. Maybe not a whole lot, but there's something that's required of them. How many of you have walked into a place where death is on your right and death is on your left, and it just seems like something could happen and bam, come right down on top of you. Yeah. They at least walk on through, but they're still grumbling. And complaining. They faced lack. Lack of water. Lack of food. They faced hard obstacles that came upon them. Certain battles. Certain things that, uh, that came after them in the wilderness. But they doubted. Complained. Grumbled. And rebelled. Seems like the same thing they did before. Are we seeing progress? What was needed to be learned was left resisted. They resisted it. They could have learned it. 
But they fought it. They fought learning what God wanted to teach them. And eventually, it got them into trouble so that all of them were going to die. God was going to raise up a new generation. And this is the Israel that went into the promised land. This group, much is required of them. And most is done by them. This is when you're running. Not just walking anymore. Certainly not just standing, but you're, walk, you're running. Much is required of them. And most is done by them. They took on Jericho. They knocked down these insurmountable walls. And they marched around the city. Did we hear write-ups of the list of complaints and the grumbling about marching all the way around the city? And then seven times on the final day. They just did it. And they, they were told to be, be quiet when they did it. And they stayed quiet apparently when they did it. And they came to Ai, ran into some problems because one person was disobedient. How many of you would like this? That one person being disobedient caused 36 people to die. You wouldn't like that. You'd probably do some grumbling and complaining out of your own. Didn't hear the grumbling and complaining out of them. They took care of the thing. Got it taken care of. And went on. They resisted the rebellion at Gibeon when the treaty was signed. The leaders signed the treaty. They were upset. I think God was upset though too. But they didn't grumble and rebel and complain and doubt. They resisted rebellion at Gibeon. And then the five kings came up. And they went in there and defeated them. Then they had the rest of the northern conquest. Then they all split up. And each took over their, their areas. And from there we saw that certain tribes were better, had learned more than others. Judah learned well and conquered their areas. Benjamin learned well and conquered their areas. Nephtali learned little. And they were considered to be intruders in their land. Dan didn't learn much. They accomplished some battles in their land, but... Didn't free the whole thing up. Asher. Not a whole lot going on with them. Certain tribes seem to resist the learning process more than others. Judah excelled at it. In fact, it became the leader of the whole group. Benjamin first. With Saul, the king came out of there. And Benjamin, you saw some great things out of that, out of that nation, the things they did. Then you also saw some great sin that they did as well. But Judah seemed to, to arise and, and do some things out of that. But this group, they listened. They obeyed. They fought and overcame. They listened as a group. Individually, we see some other stories. But as a group, they listened. They obeyed. They fought. And they overcame. Now write this one down. Developing your spirit is not listening to the first thing you hear in your spirit. Developing your spirit is not listening to the first thing you hear in your spirit. But a lot of people do. As soon as they hear something in their spirit, they feel that they need to obey it. And they do. And they get themselves into trouble. But the Word of God tells us in the New Testament to test the spirits. If we are told to test the spirits, it means... The reason for it. Some bad spirits out there. Some bad things we can pick up in the realm of the spirit. Don't say the first thing that comes into your comes to your spirit. It may be wrong. It may not be right. And you need to check it out. You need to find out is this correct? Over in the Old Testament we see the story with Micaiah. That the rest of the prophets received a word in the spirit realm. Figured it was from God. And stated it with authority. Mikhail came on out and said, I saw in the spirit realm that God said, How shall I lead Ahab into battle? And one said this, and one said that. But finally one came and said, I will be a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. And the Lord said, Go, you will be prosperous, you will succeed. And I believe it was Zedekiah came up to him. And uh, I'm just doing it off the top of my head. I think I have the names right. But he came and slapped him. And he said, which way did the Spirit of God go 
when he left me to come to you? And Micaiah answered and he said, If you come back, then know the Spirit of God did not speak to me. All of you here, take note. If King Ahab comes back, the Lord did not speak to me. He was he was putting himself on the line there, wasn't he? I don't take the first thing that comes to your spirit. It may not be right. Just because you pick it up in your spirit, just because you think it in your spirit, it seems it comes that way. doesn't mean that it's right. Developing your spirit is not listening to the first thing you hear in your spirit. You've got to test it. You've got to make sure that it's right. You've got to know that voice of God. Too many Christians are just doing what comes to their spirit and are being led in a haphazard way. And, and, and they're being led in ways that are against the Word of God. Don't do the first thing that comes to your spirit. Developing your spirit is not listening to the first thing you hear in your spirit. It is obeying the first time God says something. There's a difference in that. Don't just obey the first thing you hear in your spirit. But do obey the first time God says something. We have to identify that it is God. And I have to know that it is God. And the more I develop myself in this area, the more I can pick this out. And the more I can know. The progress of spiritual development will lead you into three ways. And this is really just three different ways of saying what we already said in the first, in the stand, walk, and the, and the run. Progress of spiritual development will lead you to first off, points. Points. These are times of obedience. Points. God is first off just trying to get you to come to obey at certain times. He's trying to get you, all right, we got them to obey here. All right, let's try and get them to obey here. And let's try to get them to obey. He's just trying to get you to obey at points. There's a, a point that comes up in your life. You can sin, you cannot sin. There's a point that comes up in your life. You can listen to the Word of God. You cannot listen to the Word of God. You can yield to the voice of God. You cannot yield to the voice of God. And He's just trying to take you from point to point to point to point. He's just trying to get you to hear Him. To open up and to receive those things that He says. Times of obedience. He then takes you from there in the paths. Go from points in the paths. That's His goal. The points aren't His goal. He wants to get you in the paths. He wants to get you into, I put this in parentheses after it, the way of obedience. The others was times of obedience. This is the way of obedience. Because obedience has a way. But you won't come into the knowledge of that right off the bat. But as you go from point to point to point to point, all of a sudden you begin to pick up, wait a minute, there's a path associated with these points. See, nobody can teach you that. But you can begin to pick up on it. There's a path here. I can see the path of God. Oh, this path is what I'm supposed to be on. And you are no, you've left the area of, of obeying from point to point to point. Now you are on a path. And as long as you can see the path, you're fine. You're following the path. And oh, it's a whole lot easier than point to point to point to point. You follow the path. And then you're moving into another area and this is the purpose. We had the times of obedience, the way of obedience, the reason for obedience. Once you get into the path and you follow the path, you begin to adapt the heart of God. You begin to take on the heart of God. You begin to pick up His heart in this, His purpose. And once you have the purpose of obedience, it just transcends you into another area. Of all the people in the Old Testament, there was one particular time that Jesus decided to brag on an Old Testament saint. And He bragged on their disobedience. Think about it in your head for a minute. It was David, yes. He bragged on David's disobedience. And He said, didn't David enter into the temple and eat the showbread? Now, if you were in the place of points of obedience and you were obeying from point to point to point, you couldn't do that. If you're in the area of, of pass, you couldn't do this. But David had transcended. He had gotten to a place where he understood the purpose of God. 
the heart of God. He understood the reason for obedience. And because he understood the reason, he knew how to stay within the reason of it. He knew how to stay within the purpose of it and understood that he could eat the showbread and never leave the purpose of obedience. And God bragged about that. Jesus bragged about that. Points, paths, or purpose. If you want to soar in the area of God, you've got to get into the purpose. But you'll never get into the purpose until you first off hit the points. Secondly, hit the path. And then get into the purpose. Because the purpose behind obedience is locked up in the heart of God. And no one can teach that to you. You have to learn that on your own. That is experience, experiential knowledge. You need to experience it. Points, paths, purpose. God wants to take you and develop you spiritually. As long as the things in the world hinder us from hearing, from receiving, and obeying the things God says to us, we will forever be held up. As long as we see situations and just desire to complain, we hinder our development. We will not get into the purpose. Certainly may not even get into the past. Let's get past the points. Let's walk on the path for a while. Learn His purpose. Get into the purpose of obedience. The purpose that He has for us. What is it that He is doing? Few Christians walk in that. Few ever come to it. Few even find can tell that it's even out there. But it's there for all. We all can have it. When you get wrapped up in the purpose, sins of other people don't throw you. Don't hinder you. You don't get focused on them. You don't get locked up into complaining and grumbling and griping and doubting. You just, you're so caught up with believing in the purpose that He has that this other stuff just doesn't bug you down. And Moses can walk out and see a million people, two million people, three million people, four million people all rebelling against Him, all wanting to kill Him. And He feels for them. He is concerned with their safety. <laughs> that just fascinates me. <laughs> four million people rise up in rebellion against Moses. And he fears for their safety. And intercedes for them. He got into God's purposes. He got on God's path. Because he saw what the points pointed him to. Points, paths, purpose. Father, we thank you that you help us. That before it matters, you desire that we pass the test. That we learn what needs to be learned. That what is lacking is satisfied. What is hurting is fixed. And Father, whatever we need to face what is down the road, You desire to give us. You want us dealing out of, a, out of abundance, not out of lack. Help us, Father, to understand the points of obedience. Always looking for that path. And when we're able to discern the path of God, obedience comes easier. Then as we continue to walk on your path and to stay on your way, we begin to learn your purpose. And we understand things that we wouldn't otherwise understand. Father, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.